Radical grace. Radical grace. What is it? What is it? Without it, we have no hope. No hope. Because without grace, we have no way to cope with no the cope. pains of this world. Let's confess, we are a mess, so we just admit it. Grace matters. grace matters. Radical grace Radical is unconditional, grace. unexpected, unlimited, excessive, extravagant, and scandalously unfair. Scandalously giving us, all of us, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth Three, chance. Four. Radical grace Radical saves grace. us, saves the world. What is it? A gift? A blessing? Free but not without cost. Radical Grace says, no, it screams, there's nothing you could do that could get me to hate you. There's nothing you could say that would make me turn my love away from you. Radical Grace reaches the poor, the broken, the wounded, the weary, the needy, the least of these. Over and over and over again because Radical Grace is boundless and timeless. Yeah, we all sin and sin and sin again and again and again. But take heart, our God is with us and he would never leave us apart. And as he counts every hair on your head and wipes every tear from your face, you can finally feel it. Radical Grace. Good morning, church. Good morning. Praise God for his grace. And that's what we're talking about. We're at the beginning part last week of a three-week series called radical grace. And so we're talking about how do you receive that grace this morning. We're talking about how to live in that grace. Next week, talking about how to share that grace. And, and grace is so incredible. And as we said last week, grace is the difference between Christianity and every other major world religion, right? But it's so hard for us to understand that grace because one, we don't deserve it. And two, we can't earn it. And so we always struggle with this idea of grace, that God in his infinite mercy and his love has lavished grace on us. In fact, that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, right? It says, but because of his great love for us, our God who is rich in mercy, our God who is rich in mercy, he's come to us when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. He made us alive in Christ. It is by grace, it is by grace that you have been saved. And so this is incredible as we dive into what grace really means. A couple of weeks ago, I was taking my daughter, Grace, uh, her name's Grace, and she's 11 today. Today is her birthday, but I was taking her to school a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were driving along, and, and she said, Dad, you know, I'm so in love with God. And I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, being a parent, you're just getting excited about that. And, you, and it was this great conversation. You know, if you're a parent or a grandparent, when you have that time in the car, right? I know it's so easy to throw in a DVD or whatever else or put on music, but that is precious time. As it says in Deuteronomy, you know, when you walk along the road, talk about the Bible, talk about scripture. I believe today it's when you drive along the road, you know, so take, take those moments, those moments. And so she just said this out of the blue, right? Dad, and we're driving along. I'm so in love with God. Oh, Grace, that's awesome. And, you know, I love what God's doing in our family ministry and the things that she's learning, the way that she's growing. And I said, well, tell me more, Grace. And she said, you know, Dad, I just want to read my Bible. I want to learn more. I want to do a mission trip, you know, and I want to serve. And I want, she goes, and I just want God to love me more. I just want God to love me more, you know? And when she said that, it triggered something in me, you know? And I said, well, grace, grace, grace. I mean, that's fantastic. It's awesome. And I wanted to affirm her in that. But I said, just always remember this. There's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. God loves you. And I said, it's just like us as parents, you know, when, when we ask you to clean up your room or do something, we want you to know that we're always going to love you. If you don't clean up your room, we're still going to love you. Now, there may be consequences for that, right? But we're going to love you because you're our girl. Now, we want you to get to the point where you want to do things because we love you. 
And God wants you to get to that point where you want to do things because you are loved, because of the blessings he's given you, because you live in this house or because you have the things that you have. You just have this love and you want to respond, not in order to earn it, right, but because you have it. And she's like, yeah, right, dad. You know, and she rolls her eyes, you know, like getting ready for those teenage years. But she's like, no, I get it. I get it. And I said, Grace, this is so important. It's so important for all of us. And she goes, I know, I know. And I said, well, hold on to that. Hold on to that truth. And if I could encourage all of us in this, right? There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Grace is not about us earning it. Grace is about us receiving, as we said last week, the grace of God, even when we don't deserve it. We receive God's grace. And then out of the grace that we receive, we wanna serve, we wanna give, we wanna bring glory to God with our lives. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So I'm excited about today. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're ready as we just unpack the word of God together. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. New Testament, the four gospels, and then you got Acts and Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So right there, kind of midway through the New Testament, we're going to have Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online or we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. In fact, if you're doing the daily step, we're reading through the Bible together as a church, you're in the book of Ephesians right now. It's awesome. So, but Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and you probably read this a couple days ago, but verse 1 says this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Paul's in prison in Rome and he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And it, you know, he's writing to encourage them. These are believers. So this letter was written to believers. Paul's in prison and he, you know, he could have been like, really God, I'm in prison, you know? But he's taking that moment and saying, all right, God use me even in this tough circumstance, even in this difficult time. And then he goes into verse two and he, he kind of gets amped up about God's grace. And in 2 through 13, I mean, he's just pouring it out right here. He says, surely, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, right? That was given to me for you. That is the mystery, the mystery. Now we're going to keep seeing that phrase here, that mystery. Mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is, so here we know, here's what the mystery is, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So Paul's going, this is a mystery, God's grace you see, before Jesus, right, it was God's chosen people, the Jews, and, and everybody else was kind of on the outside looking in. And God sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross, who paid the price for our sins. And God opened it up. Everybody, everybody can receive God's grace. And he goes, this is an incredible mystery, right? Because a lot of people still, you know, thought back then, right, it was all about the Jews. And, and he's going, no, 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 it's for everybody. God's grace is available for all. He said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, right? Given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all God's people. 
this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, now through the church, as the church, as the body of Christ, we become the dispensers of grace. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are for your glory. So as you look at this passage of scripture, I believe there's four ways that we're called to live, to live, to live in God's grace. Four ways we're called to live in God's grace. You see, what I think happens so many times is people receive God's grace, right? When you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and maybe for you, it was, you know, when you were eight or maybe nine or 10, or maybe when you were 30 or 40, or somebody invited you and you heard about this gift of God and you said yes, and you stepped over the line as God was drawing you to himself and inviting you into this relationship, and we receive God's grace. But what happens so many times is we receive God's grace, and then we go on living our life like the world, right? Or we go on living our life for us. And, and, and God's going, no, 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 no. It's not just that you receive God's grace. I want you to live in God's grace. I want God's grace to come alive in you. That's why the apostle Paul would write in different places, I labor. No, not I, but Christ in me. Yeah, there's something that happens as we begin to live in God's grace. So how do we do that? Well, in these four ways. Number one, we live in God's grace is we extend grace to yourself, <laughs> Extend grace to yourself. Look at verse seven. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Now notice Paul says, I became. I became. There's something about growing. We grow in the grace of God. We mature in the grace of God. I became I mean, I was something over here, but, but there's a process of God working in my life with sanctification, right? We call this maturing or growing, becoming more like Christ. And so I have to ask you, are, are you maturing in your faith? Are you growing in the grace of God? So often you'll talk to people and you'll say, hey, tell me what God's doing in your life. And they'll say, well, you know, I accepted Christ when I was a kid. Okay, you know, you're... You're 30 now, right? Or I went through confirmation when I was a child. Great, you know? Or I was baptized when I was a teenager. Great, fantastic. You're 40. <laughs> What's going on in your life now? How are you growing in the grace of God now? What does that look like in your life now? And Paul says, I became something. So how do we grow in the grace of God? You extend grace to yourself. How do you do that? Number one is this, you love yourself. Now I know that sounds weird, right? But here's what Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the problem, I think, for so many people is we don't love ourselves. <laughs> we don't, do we? We look in the mirror and we just see everything that's wrong with us. We look in the mirror and we think about all the things that are wrong. We compare our lowlights in life with everybody else's highlights. And so we just go, man, everybody out there, you know, woo, they're, they're doing great. Man, here I am. Here I am. And when we have this low self-esteem, this low image of ourselves, we walk around and it's a struggle for us to love others because we're still dealing with this, us. And yet what grace shows us is this, is God shows you. 
God chose you. God chose you. God, God chose you. You are special to him. And when you and I begin to realize the depth that God loves you just the way you are, there's something that comes alive in us. Right? We, we, we're called to love ourselves. I mean, not narcissistic, right? And not in a cocky, arrogant kind of way, but in a, a humble, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for who I am. And out of there, it becomes an overflow into the rest of our lives. The second thing I think is so important, a part of this extending grace to yourself is to forgive yourself. <laughs> to forgive yourself. You, you see, when God draws you to himself, right, and you step over that line, because we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, and God made us alive in Christ. And what does the Bible say? God takes our sins, get this, right? God takes our sins, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. Oh, but we remember them, don't we? We remember them. And every time we get serious about following God or growing in our relationship with God, man, it's like Satan's right there. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Whoa, hold on. You remember this? And church, I gotta tell you, there has to come a point in your life where you say, get behind me, Satan. God's forgiven me. I am redeemed and I'm restored and I'm going forward. I'm growing in the grace of God. The Apostle Paul had to get there. You know the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul killed Christians, okay? I mean, whatever you've done, I mean, I just gotta tell you, it doesn't rank right there, right? I mean, this guy, you know, he was on the road to Damascus to put Christians in jail and to have Christians killed when Jesus met him. And his life was radically changed. It's transformed. But don't you know that every time he got serious about planting churches or serving or giving, you know, Satan said, what are you thinking? Are you kidding me? God can't forgive that. <laughs> and there had to come a time in the Apostle Paul's life that he said, get behind me, Satan. God's forgiven me. I am new creation in Christ. I am becoming something. I am being redeemed and I am being restored. Have you forgiven yourself? I mean, really, have you come to that point where you go, okay, I know God's forgiven me, but I've also forgiven me. If we're to grow in the grace and live in the grace, I think there's a third thing too about this, is that we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. We have to trust in the sovereignty of God. You know, so often we try to, to live in grace, but, but then we take control, right? I, I gotta control this. I gotta control this circumstance. I gotta control this relationship. I gotta control this. And we're trying to get our hands on it. We spend all of our time and our energy, and yet what we realize is that God sent his son for us. And God didn't just come in and save us and then back away and go, hey, figure it out. I'll see you in heaven. You know, he said, no, I am with you. I'm with you. And if we can trust God with our salvation, if we can trust God, would send his son to a cross for us. And we could trust God with anything. And I believe we grow in that grace and that confidence in Christ as we start going, okay, God's got this. I'm gonna be faithful, but God's got this. God's got this. You see, God is involved in the details of your life. <laughs> He's involved in the details of your life. It's not just the big things, it's everything. And there comes a point where you have to say, God, are you enough for me? Are you enough for me? The fourth one is this, don't, don't worry about what other people say, but listen to what God says. 
See, I think what keeps a lot of people from living in grace is that we get consumed with what everybody else says. Right? We, we're listening to everybody else. I mean, we, we look at ourselves and we, we compare ourselves all the time, right? We judge ourselves by how much we weigh or how much money we make or what kind of car we drive or what kind of house we live in. Why? Because we're consumed with comparison. And comparison kills our joy. It just does. And instead of spending all of our time worrying about what everybody else is doing over here, if we would just lift our heads and look at what Jesus says and listen to what God says, then there comes this living in grace. I'm living in the grace of God. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? God is for me. But yet many times we're living over here going, well, wow, look at them, look at that, look at this. What about me? And God's going, no, 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 come on, live in grace. Live in grace. Forgive yourself. I have. Trust me. Follow me. Apostle Paul, I'm becoming. Are you becoming? Am I becoming? Am I growing in the grace of God? Second thing, I think if we're to live in God's grace, that we have to understand that grace leads to humility. Grace leads to humility. And Paul says, you know, here in verse eight, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now that's kind of crazy coming from the apostle Paul, right? Because this guy was like a religious leader. You know, I mean, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forward. This guy's doing mission trips. This guy's put it all on the line. And you would think if anybody could be arrogant, Paul's kind of got it, right? I mean, this guy wrote half the New Testament. I mean, you know, but, but Paul goes, no, 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 no. I'm least I feel like I'm less than all of God's people. When you grow in grace, and you can measure this in your life, as you grow in grace, as you live in grace, then there's a humility that comes. There's a humility that comes in your life that God is for me. Wow, God's redeemed me. I'm not greater than anybody else. God loves me. And it changes you. Here's what it says in James, James chapter four, verse six, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I'm okay if people wanna be against me, but I don't want God opposing me, all right? Anybody else right there? You know, I don't wanna be God opposing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus told a parable. You know, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We saw a couple of parables last week as we started this series, but Jesus told a parable in Luke about this, right? Luke chapter 18 and Jesus says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. That's pretty strong, right? To some who were confident, said, man, I got it all together. I got it all figured out, right? I'm deeper than everybody else. It's all about me, right? That, you know, he says, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he, people who were confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on everybody else. And Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, now, Pharisee was a religious leader. I mean, these guys, you talk about, you know, legalistic, but you talk about, you know, running everything in the Old Testament, following the law. That's what those guys did. He says, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And tax collectors back in this day, I mean, these were like the common sinners. Like, well, there were sinners and then there were tax collectors. I mean, these were like the lowest level kind of sinners, right? And the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. <laughs> Notice that. He prayed about himself. He didn't pray to God. He prayed about himself, right? I'm going to outpray you, right? God, and he does this so everybody can hear him. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. There's pride. He's arrogant. Now, it's not bad to do these things. You want to pray, you want to give, you want to serve, but, but man, it's all about him right here, isn't it? But the tax collector, Jesus said, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. (laughs) You see what Jesus was saying was, man, here's this guy, this tax collector who comes, and he's just authentic. He's just real. God, I'm in need. (laughs) God, help. God, things are hard. I don't have it all figured out. I'm I'm growing. I want to, but, but, but God, I need you. I need you. Is God enough? Is his grace enough? The Apostle Paul would write in Philippians chapter two, verse one, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each one should not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, it says it's okay to look to your own interest, but also, also, also to the interest of others. Extending grace to ourselves, growing in our humility, being kind and compassionate toward one another. And that leads to the third point, which is this, is grace, grace, as you understand it, is revealed in our relationships. Grace is revealed in our relationships. The Apostle Paul, verse eight, you know, he says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, to make plain to everyone. Grace calls us to others. Grace invites us to share God's love with others. See, here's what I believe. I believe it is this. If you wanna see if you're growing in grace, if you wanna see if you're living in grace, just ask those around you. (laughs) Because grace starts at home. It starts with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. It starts with your roommates or with your children. It's amazing to me how the people we love the most so many times were the toughest on. Have you ever seen that? We'll say things to them that we wouldn't say to a stranger, right? And I believe that God's grace, if you're living in God's grace, it's gonna be revealed in those relationships closest to you. And those are areas we've gotta grow in, church. You know, so many people look at marriage and they say, well, marriage is 50-50. No, 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 it's not. Because if you do that, you're always comparing percentages, aren't you? Well, you're saying, I'm doing 60 and they're only pulling 40, right? I'm doing 70% of this relationship. They're only doing 30%. Marriage is 100, 100. Marriage is serving. Marriage is extending grace to your spouse. It's loving them when things are hard or difficult just the way God loved you and me. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our depravity, in the midst of our brokenness and the hurt and the pain. Are we extending grace? Are we living in grace at home? Are we living in grace at our workplace? 
Do people look at us and say, wow, there's something different about them. I don't know what it is, but, but there is something different. Are, are we living in grace with all people? You see, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It, it is. It, it's not about race. It's not about socioeconomic status. It's not about gender. It's not about anything. It, it's that we're all in need of grace. And because we're in need, then we have the opportunity to live in that grace in relationships with others. Even to the point of being on the interstate and somebody trying to merge in and we're like, no, 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 that's my spot, right? You're not getting in, buddy, you know. <laughs> Can we just extend a little bit of grace? <laughs> we can just back off just as... I think grace begins to permeate everything in our lives as God calls us to live in grace. A friend of mine sent me this article from a New York Times and it's by a guy named David Brooks. And it's called The Moral Bucket List. It's from the New York Times. And he says, about once a month, I run across a person who radiates an inner light. I think that's grace. You know those people? Maybe it was your grandmother. <laughs> or maybe it's a friend. Or maybe it was a neighbor or somebody. Man, there's just something about the way they live. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem deeply good. They, least, they listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people. And as they do, so their laugh is musical and their manner is infused with gratitude. Grace and gratitude always go together. They're not thinking about what wonderful work they're doing. They're, they're not thinking about themselves at all. When I meet such a person, it brightens my whole day. But I confess, I often have a sadder thought. It occurs to me that I've achieved a decent level of career success, but I've not achieved that. I've not achieved that generosity of spirit or that depth of character. A few years ago, I realized that I wanted to be a bit more like those people. I realized that if I wanted to do that, I was going to have to work harder on my own soul. I was going to have to have a sort of moral adventure that produced a kind of goodness I was gonna to have to be better at balancing my life. It occurred to me that there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Were you capable of deep love? We all know that eulogy virtues are more important than resume ones, but our culture and our educational systems spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light, that grace. Many of us are clearer on how to build an external career than on how to build an inner character. You know, I read that and I thought, man, he's right on. And so often we spend our time in trying to build this external career instead of becoming the men and women that God so desires to radiate that inner grace, to radiate a man or woman after his heart, to be a person of love, to be a person who's thankful, to be a person who's generous. That's why Paul keeps going in Philippians chapter two where he says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so often our attitude is the same as the world, right? Be first, be right, be seen, be noticed, right? But your attitude and my attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
He humbled himself. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That your heart, my heart, looks and lives like Jesus. Here's the fourth way I believe if we're to live in grace it's we have to demonstrate and understand that grace many times is revealed in our suffering. Grace in suffering. The Apostle Paul would say this in verse 13 of that Ephesians chapter three, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are for your glory. The Apostle Paul writing from prison is saying, hey guys, you know what? I'm here, but, but listen, that doesn't have control of me. So many times in our sufferings, now none of us like to suffer, do we? I mean, we, we don't like that at all. But so many times in our sufferings are when we are drawn closer to God. Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might, he said you will. We, we all go through sufferings. Maybe you're here today and life's just really hard. I mean, it's tough. And I want you to know this, that God is with you. God hasn't given up on you. And I'm so thankful you're here. But it's in the midst of the sufferings that we can either push away from God or we can draw closer to God. In fact, I bet if you look at your life and you look at some of the hardest things that you've been through are probably the times that you were closer to God. This past weekend I was in uh, Austin, Texas, flew down to see a, a friend of mine who's diagnosed with cancer. And three kids at home. And man, this guy, he's been struggling in his faith and his life, but when the cancer came on, he said, you know what? I don't have anything else to hold on to but God. And this guy's been holding on to God. I've been watching him grow in an amazing way. And I've seen that in life. When, when we go through hard times, and whether it's in our marriage or physically or whether it's in jobs or financially, the, the people either push away from God and say, I'm gonna control it, I'm gonna make it happen somehow. Or those are the times that we just kind of just get really close to God. And we hold on and we say, God, you're enough. <laughs> you're enough. And God, you're in control. And God, I believe that you'll deliver if that's your plan or your will. But God, not my will, but your will be done. There's a lady named Debbie Pitts. She's one of my just heroes in the faith. I had her daughter when I was a student pastor in the youth group. And this lady was in her 30s, vivacious, outgoing. Everybody loved to be around Debbie. And she was diagnosed with MS. And then she was diagnosed with lupus. And we just watched her, her body start to wear out. But I remember going to the hospital one day and walking in and here she is with tubes all in her. And, and I came in and I said, Debbie, it's Jeff. And she said, Jeff, come here, sit down, sit down. How are you doing? I said, how am I doing? How are you doing? No, 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 it's not about me. How are you doing? Tell me how the kid's doing. How's everybody doing? Tell them I pray for them often. I got plenty of time. I pray for them and, and I think about them. And, and I'm just like, whoa, wow. I'm not worthy. There's something different about her. There's something different about this, this woman, the way that she lives. We're all gonna die at some point. I mean, we don't like to think about it, but, but the challenge is how do we live? And what does our life look like? I don't know if you heard about this girl named Lauren Hill. 
Lauren Hill in October of 2013, high school basketball player, just wanted to play basketball, so excited about basketball. She signed a letter of intent to play for Mount St. Joseph's women's basketball team. 49 days later, she called the coach and said, I've been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And the coach said, come on. She went into her freshman year. Her body's deteriorating, but man, there was something about Lauren Hill. And she had this time from October of 13, November, to live her life in a way that would radiate an inner light. To radiate grace. And Lauren Hill decided, I'm going to make a difference. I don't know how much time I have, but I'm going to make a difference. And she started her own nonprofit here as a high school senior and started raising money for cancer, raised $1.5 million for cancer. The NCAA approved that she could play in a game and she played in a basketball game this year. And I just want you to see this two minute video about her life. Dying is easy, someone once said. The least of us will manage that. Living well, that's the trick. Lauren Hill has died. Now it's up to us to make sure she lives on. Most of us live in relative comfort, but do we know what it means to be alive? For the last few months, Lauren tried to show us. She was alive in the moment. The cancer that claimed her body never touched her soul. Lauren made death a reason to live. Because she was courageous, she raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for cancer research. Because she was wise, she saw the end of her life as the beginning of something bigger for the rest of us. More than 10,000 people attended her first college basketball game at Cintas Center. Not all of us are here for a reason. Lauren was. We are ennobled by her short stay. Let's act on it. Doing well is not enough if we don't also do good. Lauren Hill assumed the weight of death and made it light. Her touch remains even as she has passed on. It's a gift to all of us. Ten days ago, Lauren Hill went home. She went home to be with Jesus, but here's what the president of the university said. He said, we are forever grateful to have Lauren grace our campus with her smile and determined spirit. We're forever grateful to have Lauren grace our campus. I just thought about that. Will my family be forever grateful that I was there to grace our home? My workplace be forever grateful I was there to grace. Will this world be forever grateful that whatever time we have, I don't know how long it is, that we were here to grace this place. The day she passed away, LeBron James and many others, but LeBron James wrote this on his Twitter account. He, had several tweets, but he said, Dear Lauren Hill, 
You're the true definition of strength, courage, power, leadership, etc. Your time spent on earth will never be forgotten. I hate that I never got the chance to meet you in person, but you know you inspired me the whole time. For every life you touched, you made the biggest impact on them just by being you. You're in a far better place now, and please don't have too much fun up there without all your family and friends. Can you please tell my grandma I said hello? Don't be afraid. She knows who you are because we spoke about you plenty of times. Until we officially meet again, take care and continue to be that leader we all love. (laughs) You know, I just thought about that, and I thought, you know what? We don't know how much time we have, do we? We may have 19 years like Lauren Hill, or we may have 80, 90, or 100 years. But what are you doing with what you were given? We've received the gift of grace, a gift we don't deserve and a gift we'll never earn. But are we growing in that grace? Are we living in that grace? Is the world being transformed by the grace of God in us, not us, but Christ in me, the hope of glory? Christ in me. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is here. The same God who sent his son to die on a cross for you, the same God who knows you by name, is the same God who says, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And I want you to live and I want you to grow in grace. Maybe today is the day that you just need to, you need to forgive. And maybe it's forgiving yourself. Maybe today is the day you just need to say, I need to love. I need to move forward. Maybe it's the day to say, you know what, I'm tired of living in the past and I'm going to live in the grace that God has given me. For however long it is, I'm going to live in his grace. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you? Not anybody else, but you. Do you understand the gift that you've received? Grace. Maybe today's the day of salvation. Maybe today you just need to say, God, I want your grace. God, I'm tired of pretending. I just want your grace in my life. I need you. Forgive me, redeem me, restore me. Maybe for you, you're a believer, a follower of Jesus. But honestly, you just go, man, I haven't been living grace. I've been living a lot of other things, but I haven't been living grace. But today I want to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going forward for however many years I have, whatever it is, and I'm going to live my life for Christ. At home. With those closest to me. At work, every day. So, Father, here we are, your people. (laughs) And, Lord, we need you. (laughs) God, this world's not easy. This life is not easy. And it seems like everything wars against us. We fall into that comparison mode. We chase after the things of the world. But today, God, we just want to say your grace is enough. (laughs) That you would redeem us, that you would die on a cross for us. 
that you would save us in our darkest hour. God, you are enough. Father, we want to be men and women after your heart, men and women who live in your grace all of our days. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. just continue in this moment and I'm just going to ask you to um, just let God speak to you right where you are if you feel like sitting down and just reflecting on on stuff then do that if you want to take a knee where you are or you want to come up here and take a knee or if you want to stand up and lift your hands and praise let's let God just breathe in this moment as we sing this song include our time of giving in our worship this morning let me just pray over our gifts this morning Heavenly Father we do need you because what we have is 100% yours what we have is everything that you've given us every good thing comes from the Father in heaven is what your scripture says and God we confess that and we give back to you according to how you've purposed in our hearts to do. And we ask that you would take these gifts, take these times, God, and use them for your glory, Lord. That others may know this grace that we've heard about. That others get connected to your presence. In Jesus' name we all say. Lord is where you are 
and where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in you and me. Yes, so we sing and say, Lord, I need you. our prayer oh god i need you i need you and the call now is to live in christ god is for you god is for you and may god raise all grace abound to you to meet every need in your life will you live in his grace will you live in his grace father god thank you for this morning god we know you're here And Father, we reorder our lives around who you are and the grace that we've received. Now send us out to live that grace, to live that grace in our homes, to live that grace in our lives, to spread that grace to everyone around, Father, and to find our worth and our value in a God who loves us and a God who is rich in mercy and a God who has extended to us radical grace. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we go. Amen. Amen. Blessings on you and have a great, great day. Go in His grace.